The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, approached Jesus and they put this question to him. Master, we have it from Moses in writing that if a man's married brother dies childless, the man must marry the widow to raise up children for his brother. Well then, there were seven brothers. The first, having married his wife, died childless. The second and the third married the widow, and the same with all seven. They died leaving no children. Finally, the woman herself died. Now, at the resurrection, to which of them will she be wife? since she had been married to them all seven. Jesus replied, The children of this world take wives and husbands, but those who are judged worthy of a place in that other world and in the resurrection from the dead do not marry because they no longer die, for they are the same as the angels. And being children of the resurrection, they are sons of God. And Moses himself implies that the dead rise again in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all men are in fact alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Some weeks ago, Jesus, as is not an uncommon occurrence, was having dinner with one of the Pharisees. He would often dine with these people who we love to caricature as his nemeses. And yes, arguments would happen. But I think, how many dinners have we been to where there's an argument? And it's usually with our friends. You know, it's not, it's not a strange occurrence. These aren't the villains, the bad guys in the story. They're just people with their priorities, their convictions. And Jesus is testing them. And Jesus is God. So when he tests them, it, it pushes a nerve. Anyway, um, I was saying a few weeks ago about that joke about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were a major Jewish sect, so were the Sadducees, but the Pharisees believed in the resurrection, and the Sadducees did not. That's why they're called the Sadducees. They're sad, you see, because there's no resurrection. Horrible joke, but it's a good way to distinguish one from the other. And here the point becomes the very point of the argument. They're asking Jesus a question, but they're not really asking genuinely. In fact, they're asking a kind of ridiculing question. Jesus, you think the resurrection is something sensible. How could it possibly play out in this scenario? Look, it's garbage. It doesn't make sense. I don't know about you, but I've had people genuinely, well, I assume genuinely, ask me these strange riddle-like questions to our faith. One of my friends asked me when I was in high school, Ashwin, if God can do anything then can he create a rock that's so big even he can't lift it? You think, what is that? Is that philosophy? What is that? Does that question need to be answered by anyone? Actually, I heard another one. Can God create a burrito so hot that even he can't eat it? What is this? This can't be theology. This is like uh, open mic night at the Apollo, but it's not, it's not scripture. <laughs> um, these questions don't need to be answered, really. As Jesus says when he's questioned with that same question in another passage, you neither understand the scriptures nor the power of God. In other words, cast your mind over the whole story. You'll see that your questions are a little off-center. It's not, I'm not sure what you're looking for, but 
You're not going to find it here. Anyway, this, this idea of the strange questions we pose and then the fact that they can be tested, it makes me think part of the faith journey, a necessary part of all of our faith journey, is this thing we call argument. It's actually a necessary part of our faith journey. And by argument, I don't mean bickering or, you know, as, as it said in that reading from Paul to the Thessalonians, not, not a bigotry, you know, like anything but that. Rather, it's putting all our cards on the table and saying, this is my understanding of things. And everyone else puts all their cards on the table. And you think, does this fit together? You know, can these things genuinely dialogue with each other? Or is something not quite right? And what is it? Let's be very upfront about it. This is important for our faith. Um, if we look at the life of Jesus, this was a common occurrence for him. He'd put his cards on the table, they'd put their cards, and there'd be some kind of an argument not just with his enemies, with his own disciples' arguments would emerge. Probably the only people Jesus didn't argue with was his mum and his dad. But everyone else, there was something to figure out, get to the bottom of. Even in our own prayer lives, if, if we're honest, or if we've, if we've had to pray about difficult topics, there are times when we come to argue with God himself. We say, Lord, I don't agree with you. If I were you, I wouldn't do it that way. That's a perfectly good prayer because those feelings are in our heart anyway. God can see them anyway, so we may as well air them. We may as well put it in our discussion with him. A priest friend of mine in Yapoon, he was telling me the meaning of the word sincerity. It comes from the Latin sine cere, which means without wax. In the Middle East, the, the traders would sell these beautiful statues and they were very valuable, but some of them were damaged. So they'd sew it back together with wax, they'd sort of meld it for a time being, and they'd put it in the dark room. And you'd come and you'd look at it and you'd say, I want that one. And then you'd take it out into the sun and it would crumble because it's broken. In the sun it proves to be not... It can't withstand the sun. When we say we are sincere, it means, yeah, I can stand in the sunlight here. I can hold my integrity no matter what test comes. Jesus loves sincerity of heart. He loves authenticity, whatever exactly it is. He loves to see that. And he probes. Anyway, argument, I think, we'll all admit, is, is important. Um, I'll share two little stories. When I was in high school, I remember, uh, at some point, I started becoming quite fascinated with debates, and especially debates between Christians and, and atheists. And at one point, my mum walked into the room and my brother and I were watching these debates and she said, what's happening? Are you people losing your faith? And we said, no, mum, no, we want to see it tested. We, we actually really like this, <laughs> um, but we're not losing our faith. We like to see it standing its ground. Can it, hold, can it stand its ground? Because if it can't, then why do we believe it? Why do we, why do we pitch our tent here? Uh, the second thing, and I said this to the congregation this morning, I was at a wake and we were all talking, and there was a gentleman who would have been, you know, a nephew of, I don't know, somewhere close to the family. We were all just talking about nothing in particular. And he said within our little circle, oh, yes, you know, I've put my children through Catholic education, but I, um, I don't force them to come to church, and I haven't baptized them, and I, I haven't this, and I haven't that. You think, okay, that's, that's important to him for some reason. He raised it once, and we all kept talking. He raised it a second time. 
He raised it a third. I think he raised it about five times in the short space that we were talking. And I forgot his name, but let's call him Jeff. You think, Jeff, what, what do you want? <laughs> like, why are you telling me this? Do you want me to affirm it? Because I'm not going to. <laughs> and and I, I asked him, I said, Jeff, what, what, are you, what are you telling me here? And he revealed his cards. He said, who am I to say that the, the 1.5 billion Muslims in the world are wrong? Who am I to say the 1 million Muslims in the world are wrong? I can't say that. And you think, no one asked you to say that, Jeff. <laughs> this is about you making a faith commitment to what you believe in. Um, think, of, think of him entering a relationship. It's like Jeff is going to marry Betty rather than Susie. If Jeff chooses Betty because he loves her and she loves him, is he declaring to the world that she is like ontologically, intrinsically superior to Susie? There's something defective about Susie? He's not saying that. He's just saying, I'm making a commitment of my life here. But this is the strange question that was his window. And, and what was the sincerity beneath it? Is it really, Ashwin, I'm not willing to make that kind of commitment in my faith. If that's the case, so be it. But I think if we push, it starts to crumble, doesn't it, under the, under the sun. The wax shows itself. Anyway, so argument is important for us. And, and good argument, not bickering and silly, uh, silly indifference, not that. The second thing, and it comes to us from that reading in Maccabees. Maccabees is a really thrilling story. I have to admit, I have not read it until this year. But it's like watching the movie 300. It's so action-packed. Uh, war after war after war. Very, very thrilling book. And in this particular passage, you've got these martyrs one after the other, these seven brothers. And, and obviously they're stacked against an enemy they can't defeat. So they're really stuck in a bad predicament here. But you look at the beauty of their faith. You look at the integrity of their faith. They're willing not only to lay down their life, but, but within their faith is this, is this beautiful hope. I don't know if you heard that line. It said, he said, put forward your tongue. And he put it forward. And he says, this tongue the Lord gave me, these hands the Lord gave me, I offer them back to him, and I hope that in the fullness of time I'll receive them again. Like, that's, that's Christian hope. In our tradition, if you look at the catechism, hope is a virtue. It's not just a feeling. It's not rolling a dice. We say hope is a theological virtue because we're not hoping in some random thing that may or may not happen. We're hoping in a person, and we know this person well. We know who he is. We know what he's done. We know that he's infinitely trustworthy. It's not like saying, I hope it rains on Thursday. No, hoping in Jesus is like, I hope in truth. I hope in goodness. I hope that good will eventually prevail over evil. That's what we call a certain hope. It's actually a surety. We can bank all our life on that very, very sincerely. And God will in fact prevail in all our adversity.